0: hello and welcome to resolutions a podcast about dispute resolution and prevention i'm your host alex green the fourth today we welcome hershenia a brown hershenia a brown is a mediator external ombuds corporate consultant financial industry regulatory authority finra arbitrator certified integrative health coach speaker and best-selling and award-winning author under the pen name of aria craig hershenia's education includes a master of business administration Graduate Certificate of Dispute Resolution from Pepperdine University's Caruso School of Law, Bachelor of Science in Technical Management, and Board Certification in Mental Health Coaching. She currently serves as the Tri-Chair of Membership for the Federal Bar Association, All Terms of Dispute Resolution section, and on the Advisory Board for the National Workplace Bullying Coalition that is working to pass legislation to recognize bullying in the workplace as a toxic epidemic and create accountability. While working on establishing her own brand, Hershenya spent some of her free time writing books under the pen name Aria Craig, which earned her awards and placed her on the Amazon bestsellers list in five parenting categories. Her books are designed to build bravery, resilience, and empowerment for moms struggling with the stressors of being single, divorced, or in a blended marriage, as well as children dealing with social issues. Our discussion today centers around how dispute resolution can increase mental health issues resulting from workplace bullying. First, thank you for joining me today.
1: Thank you, Alex, for having me on.
0: First, I just wanna get uh, just a sense, you know, for the listeners as to um, what is, would you consider to be a widely accepted definition or, or how would you define workplace bullying?
1: Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I, I think that that is, uh, is very much a general uh, definition, but some people may include their own version depending on what they've experienced in the workplace. Uh, it's anything to to me in my definition that is harassment or create some type of discomfort uh, for the person that's uh, experiencing uh, the the treatment, and it, it could also include uh, microaggressions. But someone is is purposely someone maybe is in management or maybe a colleague is purposely trying to create some level of discomfort for you while you're on at the workplace?
0: Okay, so there needs to be some intentionality to it. If, If someone's just simply, I don't know, a bit gauche or obtuse in their understanding of social graces, does that count?
1: Yeah. And if you think about also like when a child is going through being bullied, there's the person who is, the child who's doing the bullying, of course, has a target. So they're intending to target a person for a reason. That could be out of jealousy because of their clothes. It could be that they don't have, you know, we've, we've heard research of uh, people and even children that are, are bullies. There is a huge level of insecurity that's taking place within them or something that's going on within them. It could be something from their childhood. And we're we're even uh, finding out as research continues that that type of behavior can continue into adulthood. And you can find yourself in a situation where you're being bullied by someone, particularly someone in authority, because they have some level of power over you or authority over your uh, position in your job.
0: Okay. Okay. So it's somewhat similar, you know, you know, or quite similar, but just perhaps at a different stage of life to the to the kind of bullying that you see in school among um, okay, children and, and 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 adolescents. Correct. Okay. But
1: of okay. course, as an adult, it, it definitely has a different uh consequence built behind it.
0: How did you first become interested or involved in mental health issues resulting from workplace bullying?
1: Well, I went through I had a couple of experiences throughout the years with different employers. I had three different experiences. So I've, I've worked with different organizations before, and some of them I loved. Some of them I loved my coworkers. I loved what I did. And some of them I actually loved uh, who I worked for. But there were a couple of, three instances, I should say a couple, but three instances in which uh, I experienced it on a, a different level. So Two of them actually included racism. One of them did not. One of them was more so a person who just pretty much felt threatened because I was very ambitious in my career, sir. In my career, so going to school and trying to better myself from an education perspective, and and wanted to do better for my family because at one point I didn't even realize that I could go up the corporate ladder so quick as an as a young African American who was also a single mom. I have a son. Uh, But going through those experiences, the first one being uh, working at a company to where I was the only uh, black person in the department and being harassed almost every day, uh, like the, the, the micromanaging, everything that I did, sending me in front of my manager's uh, office in a cubicle, like directly in front of her office, uh, not being promoted for the same position. Uh, she actually got promoted into that position when I first started working there. We were colleagues, uh, we were at the same level. And she got promoted into that position and I had more experience. And she she was in school for something completely different. And also uh, going in to complain, because after some point, it be- again, it becomes uncomfortable having to go through this treatment every single day. You're, you're constantly being scrutinized over your work. You're scrutinized over when you go to the bathroom. If I had a son, you know, my son was young at the time. So having to call him to make sure he was OK if there was an emergency with child care and by me sitting outside of her office, she would hear when I'm on the phone. Uh, and she didn't have children, so it was it was very much an uncomfortable situation. And then going into the uh, HR's office to complain about it, and that's what normally happens. I would talk to the person first. In all three situations, I would talk to the manager first because I want to know if there's something that I'm doing. So I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm. I, I don't want to second guess myself. I don't want to feel like I just uh, this is a misunderstanding or something that I concocted out of thin air like this. Is there anything that I did, first of all, to where I'm getting this treatment and you're just not communicating it to me or something going on with you? And maybe you're doing this to other people and I'm just only seeing it with me. Uh, but I did realize after talking with them, you know, it's always, no, there's nothing going on. And it's, you know, a very pleasant behavior. And I'm sorry that, you know, you feel that way. And then we go right back into the behavior or in the treatment, but even worse. And then knowing when you go into HR's department, knowing that uh, HR, you expect HR to look at things and to investigate both sides, but from my experience, and I have people that are in in the HR profession in my my family, Uh, but from my experience, every time that I have gone to HR, they've always supported the employer. They've always supported my managers.
0: Okay, quick question. What was the nature of the job that you had? Like, what were your job responsibilities and your job title in terms of the instance you just mentioned, where you were positioned outside of your manager's office and you were the only minority or Black person in the department?
1: Uh, and I was in finance in all of those
0: positions. Okay.
1: I didn't experience discrimination, but there was a level of bullying there. It was more discreet, though.
0: Okay, and expand on on that for me when you say it was not necessarily, did not necessarily have um, perhaps racial uh, overtones and it maybe wasn't motivated by race, but it was, you still felt bullied discreetly. Um, Describe how that, how that was.
1: That one was a very unique situation. So when I started working there, and I'll just go over it very briefly, when I started working there, because I'm very ambitious, I actually got promoted, and then I got double promoted. So I got three mm-hmm. promotions within a year and a half. When my manager, my manager reported to another person, uh, and my manager was black. When she reported to another manager, he was a, he was a white guy and I, I had a really great relationship with him. I had a great relationship with all of my colleagues. She was actually very smart, very strategic, very good at what she did. And she had a lot of other credentials uh, under her belt. But both of us being Black women, we, you know, as, as you know, we have to do a lot more. We have to prove more. We have to have so many credentials under our belts to be recognized in certain capacities. So that's what I was doing. I was trying to be at that level to where, and I love school, so I just went back to school and tried to enhance uh, my education. I think that she saw that and she felt threatened. And because she saw that I was liked by her manager uh, once they became peers, she pretty much blocked every opportunity, whether it was in within the department, uh, within our department, or a lateral move. So I couldn't move anywhere, and I was already building. And you know, in project management—you build relationships with other departments because you're collaborating with these other departments for a specific goal or a specific assignment or a project. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I felt that she, because this went over for went on for a couple of years. I believe that she felt so threatened, block every single and I, I did. I applied outside of the department. I applied within a department, just outside of under her leadership. So I can get out from under her. I even had a mentor like, could you please help me? Cause um, I can't do this anymore mm-hmm. because uh, you can, I could see what she was doing and what she did was she hired a, um, People who were, I'd already gotten to a certain level at that position. So she hired a couple of people who were already a couple level levels. I don't want to say beneath because that's, I I don't want to use that term, but I was a a couple of great levels uh, advanced of them. She hired them above me. And even one of them who I actually helped because she didn't have a strong accounting background, I did. I kind of helped her in in some of the role, the accounting functions that we did. She hired her in the the same position that I was going for. And then when we had to move, we had to move to a different floor. She placed her in, in an office office and placed me in a cubicle right in front of her, not directly in front of her, but in the same aisle that was mm. in front of her, which is all the way in the back. So it was like going through the same thing. I just experienced like the job before this one at that particular company that I had before working at this company. Uh, it was just a little bit different, but it was the same thing. And then, like I said, she just blocked everything. I I couldn't move. And to the point mm. to where it just, it impacted my mental health because if I'm ambitious and i willing to grow, and I'm one of those people where I think outside of my assignment. So if you give me a Mm -hmm. task in a position, not only am I going to learn this well, I'm going to figure out, okay, well, how did, what impacts, what are the internal stakeholders here? Where does my assignment, what do you do in your department before it gets to me? So I can have a holistic understanding of how this process goes. And even after when it leaves my desk and it goes to the next department, what does it look like? For the organization, mm-hmm. not just for that department, for the org- organization. I'm very holistic because I'm a, I just, I'm analytical and I'm a, I'm a problem solver. And she did not like that. So uh, that became very stifling for me and for somebody that's very ambitious. And at one point while I was there, I went to, uh went back to school, went back mm-hmm. to school, and got my master's degree. okay, And uh, I felt like, I felt inadequate and I mm-hmm. felt like I couldn't, I don't know what the best way to describe it is, but it was, it was a very unhealthy toxic situation to be in.
0: Right. Well, I mean, would you just maybe would you describe uh, kind of like unwanted, undervalued, unappreciated? Make me those any of those kind of ring bells or was it a different kind of?
1: I would say under underappreciated, but I also uh, feel like I was suffocating. That's the best word to to, to 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 describe it. I was suffocating because I knew that I knew my worth and I knew my value and I knew what I contributed to the organization, but I had someone who was an authority that was keeping me from progressing.
0: Hmm. Wow. And you said that in this position you had already been double promoted.
1: I've, I guess I had been promoted to. When I first started there, I was promoted within five months. And then I was double promoted the following year.
0: Okay. Okay. So I had
1: three promotions.
0: And had she been instrumental, this particular, um, black female manager that you eventually had, I suppose, issues with you? Did she, was she instrumental in those promotions?
1: Uh, I don't know. I think it was more so her manager because when we sat down at the, when I had my review, she would tell me that he thought that would be great for this position or he thought that it would be, you know, he, he wants to see me promoted. It. So it was I think the direction was coming from him. I don't think that she liked it, but she was following under his leadership. But when they became peers, that's when she, you know, he was, she was no longer working for him yeah. or un, under him. They were now working together. So she Mm. now had authority over everyone in her department, because at Mm. that point they started uh, to split off the departments. And so some people went under her and some people went under his leadership.
0: Mm. Okay. And, you know, that brings out another good point in the sense that, you know, many people, especially when we start talking about discrimination and racism in the workplace, they believe it only happens interracially right um as Mm -hmm. opposed to whether it be you know a person who's of a different race or ethnicity against a person of a different race or ethnicity and in in many cases because you know there's sometimes people think see things as a fixed pie and there's a finite amount of resources a finite amount of adulation and awards to be given out right and you know and 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 money to earn they believe they often um there's a lot of for lack of a better term like resource guarding and a lot of. you know, like you mentioned it earlier, insecurity and jealousy, right? Even among people that are of your own group, so to speak. Yes. Um, and
1: I can say this to Alex. I actually was very fond of her at the beginning uh, for maybe the first couple of years because I, I loved her because she was also at one point a single mom. So I loved the way her, 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 Thinking. I loved how she was very herself was very ambitious. She was very strategic. And at one point she became my mentor. So that's when I say fun. I've been fond of her as uh, someone who I thought I could emulate because I hadn't seen that before. I hadn't seen how a black woman who was also a single mom. I think that's the key factor could climb the corporate ladder and do accomplish so much. And I, I just never seen that in my field, in my in my journey. So I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, she's doing it. And I, it started to happen with me. So I'm like, okay, this can be done. As a single mother, we can thrive and, and get into those positions and show people that we have the, the capacity and we can multitask and we have what it takes to be in a leadership role. And then when that happened, I was like, oh, okay. I mean, I didn't feel like I couldn't accomplish that. It was just in working under her at that company was almost impossible once she uh once that particular tactic was in place
0: you know this really can't be overstated because you know there's this for all the talk there is about people celebrating each other right who are of have a a similar background you know whether it be black women who may be single parents who are also trying who, who are pursuing education and uh climbing the corporate ladder you know, for all the talk there is about, you know, unity, support, um, having people that look like you and that have had your experiences, you know, sort of be, you know, those kinds of folks that um, are your mentors in many cases because of some, you know, I I don't know if it's historical, in some cases that probably is part of it, conditioning, um, you know, there are some barriers to that sort of um, collaboration, right? And that understanding, right?
1: Right. Right. And then yeah. when you have someone as a mentor, there is a level of trust that's there. So I did not see any of that coming. I didn't until it until it actually happened, because I kind of trusted. I had to learn the difference between, between a mentor and a sponsor. I learned that was that earlier this year, um, I actually was a uh, moderator for the Black Enterprise Women of Power Summit.
0: Mm. And
1: one person for one of the the segments She says that there's a difference between a mentor and a sponsor. A sponsor is going to be the person that's going to put you in front of the people that you belong. They're going to give you that exposure. They're going to put you in places so that you can have a seat at the table to have the conversation. A mentor is going to guide and help you through your goals, but the sponsor is the one that's going to do the action behind it so that you can be in those certain spaces and you can be recognized and and, uh, you can thrive. And I didn't Mm. have a sponsor. I didn't even know that then. So now... I'm looking for sponsors, <laughs> not just mm. sponsors.
0: <laughs> right. Understood. Yeah. Because I mean, I would think that both is, is, it can be good, right? But I suppose it depending on what you're trying, what your goal is mm-hmm. and what you need to um, have in place to accomplish that, to, you know, to achieve it, it may be more advantageous at a particular time, maybe yes. to have, you know, a sponsor versus a mentor, because maybe a mentor from the definition you gave, it sounds like that's more of a. And early on, where you're more in the infancy, maybe of what you were, of what you want to do and with your career or your ultimate goal. But a spon- you know, a sponsor is perhaps when you're really you, you've settled on a pursuit or you've settled on, you know, a focus, but you're really looking to grow in that role and grow as a practitioner or in a professional. Would that yes. be? Okay. Okay. So the thought process a lot of times when it comes to people talking about bullying and The relationship between that and mental health is whether do you think bullying is perpetrated by those who have mental health issues or the people with mental health issues are mostly the victims of workplace bullying?
1: Oh, that's a great question. And I'm glad Mm -hmm. you said that. I'm glad you asked it. I should say. I guess it depends. I can tell you that bullying can impact a person's mental health. The person that's going through the bullying, the person that's the recipient of it. It can definitely impact your your spiritual well-being, your mental well-being. You start to question things about yourself. And when you're going through issues, I shouldn't say issues, but when you're having these mental these mental situations like anxiety and depression, people I I don't know if people understand if that could very much cause. Physical issues and it could also cause spiritual health. Like your whole everything, your whole being is out of balance. You're questioning things about yourself. And we all know that anxiety has its own symptoms, Uh, depression has its own symptoms. It could throw off your cortisol levels. You're in fight or flight mode. uh, Your adrenal glands go out of dysfunction. Your adrenal functioning can be dysfunctional at that point. The signals to your brain can be imbalanced. Uh, There are all kinds of things that happen when you go through bullying. And once you go through that mental process, like I said, it could take you through a whole physical state. You start start breaking out in hives. You, You can't sleep. You have insomnia, which of course we know causes brain fall because now you can't concentrate. You have all of these cognitive issues that take place when you're not getting enough sleep and your cells are not regenerating. just a whole barrage of things that happen. You could throw off your nervous system, you you throw off your digestive system. uh, And also your spiritual, your spiritual life is impacted. It could be definitely, definitely be compromised because you're questioning things and you're trying to figure out why is this happening? How long is this going to happen? What can I do to get out of this? It's just a lot of things that take place in your overall well being. But I can tell you from my third experience, I honestly believe that my manager had some level of mental health. I think she had a mental health issue that no one, of course, it's that's that's private. Of course, no, you know, you mm-hmm. no one can share that in the workplace. But I don't think because she was, I don't know what she had gone through in her life, or you know, it was there were some things that I I know that was shared about uh, a little bit about uh, her marriage before. By the time I started working there, she was divorced. So I don't know what transpired in her life before and they caused some type of mental breakdown or maybe she already had something that she was dealing with. But because of that, she was, it was very much a, it, it was very micromanaging. Uh, we all know that people that micromanage that that's pretty much a a, a response or a, a result of somebody being insecure of themselves. Like they don't feel like they could trust Someone to uh, to take care of a certain responsibility or an, an assignment. So they're mm-hmm. micromanaging everything that they do, and that's incredibly unhealthy for anybody. Nobody, everybody wants autonomy and to be trusted that they can do their job. You know, if I need your help, I'll ask you. I don't mm-hmm. need you to, you know, every single thing that I'm doing. And also, that wastes time because I can't get things done if you're looking over my shoulder. Uh, Mm -hmm. But there were other components to that. I I was actually questioning her sanity at some point. It wasn't just me. It was a few of us that were Mm -hmm. questioning her sanity. Because before I started working there, it was pretty much a pattern that I had heard before I started working, a pattern of her doing bullying people. And then they're quitting or they're going on leave or they're they're being forced out. And then when I started working there, I just happened to be the target. Because I was the one that did not pretty much, I I knew what I was doing. And I was, I was actually in a job that I was overqualified for, but I liked the work. So I, I didn't have to really ask a lot of questions. And I think that that bothered her to to an extent, but, uh, it just got to a point to where, uh, she, the talking to me as if I was, uh, as if I was stupid, she, she did. She talked to me like mm-hmm. I was stupid and I have to talk to, she gave me a whole lot of work, uh, mm-hmm. a lot of work that I was, I couldn't, no one could possibly do all of that work in the, in the time frame uh, mm-hmm. allowed. and I, I talked to her, I talked to her a couple of times and, and then the switch happened when I talked to her, it's like, I literally saw her face switch. And I'm like, is there something wrong with her? You know, I didn't know what was going on. And if it is, it's like at least let me know. While so no, I, I can be a little bit more compassionate about the situation. But right. And that's interrupt.
0: How would you describe that switch? I'm just just you know, so I can to, you know someone can visualize. Like, right. was it from like someone who seemed to be responsive? And perhaps cordial and making eye contact to someone who seemed to be quite, you know, off putting and standoffish. What, how would you describe her switch?
1: I wouldn't say standoffish. I would def- definitely say uh, off putting. And by this point, her, the way she was looking at me was almost like I, I, I hate to say this because she I, I'm black. She was white. So she looked at it's like she switched like, you know, do what I tell you to do. Like mm-hmm. almost like um, stay in your place, stay in your mm-hmm. place. I'm telling mm-hmm. you to do this and this is what you need. Even if she was wrong, mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like stay in your place. Mm-hmm. And the and that is the way that she communicated to me the, after that point. It was like everything I tell you to do, do it. Don't mm-hmm. question me on anything. Uh, and it was like the talking to me like I'm stupid. Not just, you know, do what I tell you to do, but almost like questioning my intelligence.
0: Okay, so it With, felt like abuse of power almost. Exactly. Okay. okay,
1: exactly. And then it got to the point where it was so stressful. Uh, I had to, uh, again, I had actually at this point, I wanted to talk to her manager about it. And he told me that people had complained about her. People had complained about her, but he said, you know, that's just how she is. So you just got to deal with it. Just ignore it. And it's like, that is not a solution. That's what we get told when we're, when we're being bullied. And I know from from my generation, when we were younger, we were bullied because I was bullied in, in child in uh, in ele- sorry, not elementary school and middle school. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom said to just ignore it and it will stop. And that's not that was not the case. That's not the mm-hmm. solution. It did not stop. So mm-hmm. now as an adult, I'm being bullied by my manager and I go to her superior and tell him what's going on. He's saying the same thing, just ignore it and it'll go away. And it's like, but you just told me that so mm-hmm. many people have come to you with the same problem, even outside of the department.
0: Right. So because there's this thought that-
1: I had this issue.
0: Yeah. There's this thought that for some reason, just doing nothing will make it go away um, yes. in some strange way. So- do you know of any, um, or do you, I mean, I know it's difficult to kind of perhaps quantify it because of, you know, there's so many variables as to what you how you define it and what is an incident. But I mean, is there, are there any statistics on the prevalence of workplace bullying?
1: You know what, there are a lot of statistics out there and. The National Bullying Workplace Coalition actually has those statistics posted on their website. They have a lot of information uh, because they are really working to make this a make this an illegal uh, action in the United States. It is in other countries, but it's not here in the United States. A person that's being bullied for the United States is unkind behavior, but it's not Mm -hmm. illegal. Mm -hmm. Uh And that's what they're trying to do is make it in all states where it becomes legal because it's it's a toxic situation that creates all types of, of issues with the employee. And you're talking about people who at the end of the day, if they keep going through this experience, it's something, there's going to be a breakdown somewhere. There's going to be a mental health crisis. Uh, They're going to have to take off work. So Mm -hmm. now they're, you know, the company is going to suffer as well, not just the person, but the company is going to suffer. And then when you know that you have this person in place and this behavior has been consistent, why do you still have them? They are a liability at this point. Uh, My understanding, this person has been promoted this person has now since been promoted and they put someone else in her role it is just yeah it's it's very i don't understand the thinking process behind that i don't know if they're trying to cover some things up but at that point you're it's not even just looking at her it's looking at the organization of how you can tolerate and accept someone who has done this to so many people at your organization you can you can give them all the non-disclosure agreements you want but be- before they sign that non-disclosure agreement or whatever uh, settlement terms, or whatever happened with that person, they discussed it with family, friends, church members. So all of these people are aware, and people talk on social media. Mm-hmm. People mm-hmm. talk everywhere. You know, some some communities are very small. It causes so many issues of bullying, is such, a, in the workplace is such. Uh, it's so many people that's experiencing it. So many people that are experiencing that from other. Uh, angles, you know, again, uh, from position of or an angle of discrimination, which adds a whole different factor. Like I, like I experienced at the last company uh, that I mentioned. I mean, it's it's really really bad because okay. even even to the to the point to where when you are having so many health issues to where your hair is falling this is me my hair was falling out I even had it to where I had a situation at the job to where I had to ask facilities to change my chair because I had an accident in the chair because this woman was bullying me. yes she was bullying and then as an African-American woman somebody even came to me and told me why don't you do more and I'm like I we're in, I'm like in a, between a rock and a hard place of what I can do, because I did not want to be there at that job. I was not treated fairly. I, that's that, everybody saw that, but while I'm looking for another job, while I'm, uh, while I'm applying for jobs, I'm actually qualified for, cause I was overqualified for this one. But like I said, I liked, I liked what I did. I still have to work. I have to have income coming in because I'm taking mm-hmm. care of me and my son. I have a family at this point. I'm divorced. So I have to take care of my household. So until then, it's almost like I have to, but I chose to stay there because I think I feared the alternative of not working. Mm-hmm. What happens? Mm-hmm. that's a whole other level of stress that's going to happen. Uh, and that's exactly what happened. I wound up losing my job, but it was actually okay. a free. I was free from all of the other emotions, but all the other things that I experienced, but that was actually, if if anybody listens to that, they could probably say that that was probably the best thing that could have happened. That was like my, my kick in the butt. Like you just need this.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Like a blessing in disguise thing, because you know, very human emotion of human feeling, you, you, you fear uncertainty, especially when you're the primary breadwinner and all of us have to support ourselves in some way. And so, you know, you don't want to end up getting out of one stressor into just another, which sometimes can be equally as devastating or even more in terms of um, not being able to, to provide. Now, we're trying to see where alternative dispute resolution ADR processes are relevant activities. Do you believe that in order for ADR to be an effective tool to mitigate the the issues or even resolve the issues that happen um, from workplace bullying, do you think that we have to have legal protections first? Or do you think that ADR can still be an effective tool to have discussions around this, even without it being something that comes out of a court case or that's legally binding?
1: I, I do believe that ADR can help at the beginning. You don't want it to get, get to where uh, there's litigation involved, because at that point, the, there's so much stuff has already transpired. Like th- mm-hmm. That's like the last resort of trying to resolve or reconcile the issue. And by that point, when you're talking about a workplace, people, uh, for the most part, that employee-employer relationship has dissolved. Some people are still in those situations. Some you do have people that have litigation going on. They're still working there. That's a, an uncomfortable situation to be in, but, or maybe not, because at that point, everybody's nice to them. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, anyway, alternative dispute resolution is definitely a tool that should be used at the forefront, but it's only effective if, if there is a holistic approach to it. Like mm-hmm. if you have, an ombuds in place, for example, uh, I learned about an ombuds last year, learned more about an ombuds last year. And that was uh, when I went through understanding exactly what an ombuds is. And when she she stated that an ombuds can really impact organizations, because mostly ombuds are in higher education institutions, but you do have them at your, your companies, like your bigger organizations. They help with things such as workplace bullying. They're, they're a tool that's in place at the beginning when there when there's conflict with an employee. So an employee can address a concern confidentially with the ombuds. Now the ombuds is not going to tell you what you need to do or give you the answer. The ombuds is going to be there to help guide you through you making your own determination and, and understanding what the policy says about that particular situation and even training. And if a person wants to have some type of solution with Whoever is helped, like if there is a bully in place, like if a person is going through bullying with their manager, uh, the ombuds can talk to the manager by by way of the person that came into their office that states that they are having the bullying. So they have to be the one the visitor has to be the one that approves or says, yes, you can talk to my manager and there can be mediation between the two as well to get to the understanding of what is going on and what's taking place in, in that department or between that those two people. So, but it's, it, that definitely has to be by way of that person that came into their office, to the ombuds office, stating that it's okay for the ombuds to talk to the other person. But because an, an ombuds is not an office of notice, they're independent. So they're not like HR or any employee relations departments where they do those investigations, and they're not for the employer. So Mm -hmm. I just wanted that to be clear as well. They're not for the employer. They are very much neutral. So they're not working for the employer or the employer. They're basically listening to the visitor that comes into the office that expresses the concern. But that includes when a person is being bullied by whoever in their work capacity. If the organization takes the time, and then the Ombuds also creates a report, an annual report of all the people that come into their office and they don't, there's no identifying information. So you don't know who that person is, but it's Mm -hmm. basically addressing the reason why they came into the office. So if you have a huge chunk of people, if you create a pie chart or some type of graph off of all the reasons why these people or these visitors came into the office, what their concerns were, and you break it down, break it down by the percentage or whatever. If you have a huge percentage of people that came to the office because they were being bullied, then that is a cause for concern. They will create this report along with some, some strategies or some, some uh, suggestions for resolution to the highest level of, of leadership of the organization. And hopefully, leadership will take a look at that and figure out what they need to change, make some policy changes, uh, implement some uh, corrective action, enforce corrective action because some Mm -hmm. organizations, they allow people to get away with doing things and Mm -hmm. other people have have to abide by the policy to the T and that's not fair. Mm -hmm. But if leadership is very much concerned about their resources, your human resources are your most valuable resource in your organization. They help the company run and they make the company look good. And if you're, if you're noticing some people, like I said, you have people that are going through that are experiencing bullying or harassment or whatever, they'll get on social media and start talking about a company in a, in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. So now the organization looks bad. Like people know, I don't want to work for that organization because I heard why I, I, you know, next, you know, if it's something that's big or a company that's really big, it's on the Uh news. So Uh now the brand's reputation is being tarnished. So if it's an organization that really takes to heart, what are these systemic issues, internal issues that we are having? And these internal issues actually can can make their way or transition into external issues with their customers. Uh So it's, it's a holistic approach. If an organization is looking at it from that perspective, nothing is perfect. You can't every single thing, but there are things that are physical fixable. And Mm -hmm. then you, if you don't know what to do, then bring in a consultant to help you figure out what can we do to mitigate these issues so that we don't keep having these problems. And that could be getting rid of the person or people that are causing the issues because Mm -hmm. they are the liability.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And then of course, the million dollar question pun intended, because you mentioned something about an ombudsman (laughs) or an person being independent. So I know that in a governmental context and, you know, municipalities and a federal agency, state agencies, they often, they have them often that's paid through taxpayer dollars or other types of grants, maybe private philanthropy in certain cases, but what ideas might you have, or what do you think have you seen in practice that will incentivize organizations uh, of any size to invest in an ombudsman or to investigate how to have some type of independent dispute resolver or interventionist?
1: Well, I think that if they go and and look and do some research on the problems, and I just want to be clear that there are different types of ombuds mm-hmm. because you do have ombuds. And I can't remember. I, 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 Don't quote me on this. I think it's the classical ombuds that they do that uh, work for like maybe governmental agencies that they can do investigations. So you do have a certain type of ombuds person to they have them. They're different types that can do different things. Mm -hmm. But your organizational ombuds is they're not supposed to do any investigation. For those organizations, whether it's an organization, a mid-sized organization, a small one, a large, or even governmental agency that really need to, and for, for the most part, they they probably already have an ombuds in place, uh, a mm-hmm. governmental agency. For those that need, like the organizations that really need to take a look. At the uh, concerns and the issues that they've had, if they go to their legal department and their HR departments and say, "Listen, you know, if they don't already have non-buds in place, w- how much money are we losing here?" due to all of this conflict? Like how many, how much money are we are we losing to uh to have or hire? They may even have inside counsel already as a part of their team. Uh, mm-hmm. They might and those inside counsel might actually collaborate with outside external law firms to help them with cases. How much money are we losing in litigation? How much money did we pay out to somebody in a settlement and why? What issues were there that that we missed or that we don't know or that was happening. And you do have some organizations that do know. They just choose to throw money at the problem because mm-hmm, they know that mm-hmm. they can. They could just, you know, get a, give it to their outside counsel and they'll take care of it. And then they just go on about their daily business, which is not healthy either.
0: Mm-hmm,
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like, why are you throwing money at a problem that you can fix?
0: Right. And another factor or metric to look at is attrition and turnover, uh, correct? Yes.
1: That is true. Yes, yes. Not just that, not even just attrition and turnover, but let's go a step backwards and see who we have in place in our, uh, that's hiring during the hiring process for like through HR, because you do now, Ombuds probably wouldn't have a, know anything about this because the Ombuds would uh, work with an employee that's already established for the organization. Uh, but if an employee is in HR and they are possibly, uh, there's some bias in their level of uh, of applications, people who are applying for a specific job, like their names or their location, because we have heard of organizations doing that. Like someone, and you might have somebody in HR that doesn't even know that someone is being uh, is being uh, rejected because somebody at the first level that's looking at the application is biased because of those terms or those that their name or their location or something like that. But you definitely need to get to the bottom of it by looking like you said certain metrics of activity, like you said attrition or or somebody is taking off. Let's look and see you know all of these people that are taking off due to um uh, wellness, some type of wellness mm-hmm. concern. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're on uh, short-term leave. You don't know some of those reasons. You don't know why, but you can do some investigation to see was there an issue prior to them taking off? That, what was the communication between them and their manager? Just doing a little bit more of an in- investigation to figure out why we are having so many problems. Because again, a lot of this stuff is solvable. if you If you take the time to understand what's going on in your, in your company, some of this stuff is fixable. There are solutions that can help you resolve mm-hmm. these issues without mm-hmm. them going an extra step of litigation.
0: Okay. So do you see an ombuds being able, I know you said that in a lot of times in a private context, they don't necessarily conduct an investigation of specific instances, but they may put together some data based on obviously with some anonymity preserved that kind of says, okay, we see that we have, you know, this many um, individuals came in uh, with a chief complaint of this type of issue at work. Is there a way that the ombuds could perhaps suggest, let's just say if the, if the employee or the contractor or someone is, is, a, is amenable to it, do you see a way where they could go directly to the people? Maybe if it's just maybe one person and another to suggest a mediation? Or anything like that or is that not something that an ombuds might do
1: well and an organizational ombuds can mediate some people Mm -hmm. some ombuds from my understanding just from the network that i've had some some of them do some of them prefer not to because Mm -hmm. you do have organizations that do have mediators already in place for situations they, they can mediate between the person that came into their office with the concern and the person that they're having the concern with, but that would be at the approval of the person that came into their office. Like they can't just go and say, well, let me talk to this person. It has to be to where they get the approval and the okay of the person that came into their office and say, yes, you can talk to the other person I'm having the issue with. And, or yes, we will mediate. And of course, with any mediation, by me being a mediator myself, you have to, Agree to mediate under those Mm -hmm. terms and hopefully come to a solution
0: and maybe work with HR to if there is some type of written solution that it be put added to the person's personnel files. There's some accountability for what was decided. Right.
1: Well, everything that the Ombudsman does is confidential. So oh, if, that, no. if that person, if the person is the visitor and he or she goes to HR at that point, they might feel like, OK, well, this didn't resolve anything because I'm still having this issue. So I'm going to have to go to the next step. There oh, are like, the okay. ombuds will work with the visitor to tell them these are some options that you have, but the, the Ombuds is not going to make the decision for that visitor.
0: Got it. Okay. Okay. And so- then you
1: don't want the ombuds to, to tell the HR because that means that that HR knows that the ombuds, that that visitor came in to visit with them. Unless the visitor specifically said so, that yes, you can go to HR, but that's not an area that, from my understanding, ombuds touch. Like we can collaborate with HR to understand what are some policies or what are some, some rules. Even mm-hmm. even departments have their own de- on policies. Mm-hmm. So you can understand the organizational policies and then you can get drilled down to the departmental, departmental policies mm-hmm. uh, to help that person, the visitor, come in to have an understanding of what their concern is. Like say, if there's something related to taking time off or whether the rules are coming in late mm-hmm. or, you know, my manager, you know, I came in late and my manager is threatening to write me up and that's my, a concern. Well, these are the policies and what are you experiencing? But if the if the visitor wants to go and take that step to go to HR and file a complaint, that will be the visitor. The ombuds will not file that complaint or anything like that for that visitor.
0: Okay. Okay. So really, the ombuds really is kind of like a first line, early kind of interventionist or you know participant in this process. But of course, you know, it's uh, confidential, it's anonymous, and it, it does take some of the pressure off some of the people who some of the reporters, you know, people who are experiencing these things because they understand that, you know, they won't necessarily be a record of everything that, to be sure with HR, there won't be an investigation, there's no binding findings to these things that, you know, that people are required to adhere to and things of that nature. So to some extent, maybe people would be more willing to this kind of uh, intervention with the understanding that there wouldn't be such consequence, such devastating consequences or right
1: Yes. Yes, okay. that, is, that is correct. And Ombuds okay. don't to keep records. Like once the problem is resolved or that person is not coming into their office with that issue, they don't even keep those records. Like the ambas is so confidential that nobody in the organization should even know that uh, who that person is as a visitor that came to see them. If a visitor says, I want you to go to human resources, the Ombuds probably is not going to do that. Even though they get the permission from the visitor, the Ombuds is probably not going to do that. The the visitor needs to go, if that's what their next level of resolution is, if that's what they feel like they need to do to get something resolved, Mm -hmm. if they want to go there to file the complaint, then they can. Mm -hmm. That's going to be, when I say they, I mean the visitor. The visitor Mm -hmm. can do that, but Mm -hmm. the Ombuds is not going to go and talk to HR and file the complaint on their behalf. That's not what they're going to do.
0: Okay. Okay. Understood. And um, I'm sorry if I um, didn't uh, catch this, but you mentioned the three um, employers and three instances, you know, where you, you know, you were the victim of workplace bullying. Did you, did any of these organizations have ombuds?
1: I know you're going to answer the question. No, they did not.
0: Okay. They did not.
1: And that's really unfortunate because they could have used one.
0: Okay. (laughs) Yeah. See, so Right. Okay. So that's even more of an under, you know, so that helps you kind of understand that, you know, you can see, listen, maybe if I had had that outlet and that ability to um, have someone intervene and kind of discuss and implement some best practices around this kind of stuff and have conversations about it, even that in of itself sometimes can be very helpful. Right. Yes. Okay. Well, I thank you so much. This has been a very eye-opening and insightful uh, conversation. And I can tell that you have a breadth and depth of experience and knowledge about you know, workplace bullying as it, re- as it relates to mental health and how alternative dispute resolution can be a valuable tool in addressing um, these issues. And I hope that this and other discussions leads to further study in the area and implementation of best practices to facilitate a more supportive and mindful environment in the workplace for everyone. Thank you for joining me, Harshania.
1: Thank you, Alice, for having me. I appreciate it.